Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing out there? Are you awake and alert? 11.30, the rowdy crowd, because you got to sleep in a little bit more, maybe. And so, glad you guys are here. Welcome to the third week of a series that we're doing called Shoes. And uh, we're talking about people's encounters with Jesus throughout Scripture and and today we're going to go a little bit more formal today. We're going to go with some dress shoes, some wingtips right here. These are my ginormous size eights, and don't be jealous, all right? And, uh, and so it's been a really fun series. And uh, before we get going, I just want to ask you a question. How did you guys sleep last night? Turn to your neighbor, tell them how you slept last night. Sleep good? Some of you? Yeah, all right. You've had those nights though, right, where you just can't fall asleep. You just lay in your bed forever, or maybe... You're at that age where I'm at where you can't stay asleep because you got to wake up and go to the bathroom. It's annoying, right? All those kind of things. Or maybe you got restless leg syndrome, whatever you got going on, but it's just hard to stay asleep. And so, or maybe you're, maybe this, this meme right here with Chris Hemsworth describes you, right? Well, it's time for bed, my brain. Is it though? Is it though? Any other like overthinkers in the group along with me? Yes. It's frustrating. My wife can fall asleep in like eight seconds. Like, I'll be telling a story, and then I look over and say, oh, you're asleep. Okay, that's great. And, and I, for the next hour, hour and a half, like, I'm processing so many things, solving all the world's problems, you know, right there. Thinking about an argument I had in 2019, that if I just would have said this, I could have won the argument, you know? Like, or maybe you're running through the moms. Man, are you moms, like, running through your to-do list when you're trying to go to bed for the next day? I mean, so we just sit there, and we have a hard time just falling asleep, well, there's this guy in the Bible named Nicodemus. He's having one of those types of nights. The melatonin gummies aren't working. He's counting sheep. It's not working. He just can't fall asleep. He's restless. So I don't know if he goes to Jesus at that night because that was what was available in Jesus' schedule. Probably not. Probably because he didn't want to be seen in broad daylight with Jesus. So he meets with him at night. But he had questions. Questions that would not let him rest, not let him sleep. So as we talk about Nicodemus today, another thing I can assume is Nicodemus, he probably didn't own a pair of Vans, my personal favorite, Crocs, Jordans, cowboy boots. He probably was more of a wingtip, business kind of guy. He walks in the room, he's the smartest man in the room no matter where he's at, and that's kind of Nicodemus. He was an academic. He had a very impressive pedigree. His grandfather was a Jewish ambassador to the Roman Emperor Pompey. His dad was a very celebrated and decorative, uh, decorated war general. His name, Nicodemus, even means victory for the people. So you've got to believe when your name means that, there's a lot of expectations on you even from birth. So how many of you guys, by show of hands, you were given a nickname at some point in your life, you have a nickname, all right? How many of you guys hate your nickname? All right, a few of you, all right. If there's good nicknames, there's bad nicknames, right? I've had a share, my fair share of both. But Nicodemus doesn't sound like a guy that would go by like Nick, right? It doesn't seem right. Maybe Nico, but I'm guessing that it was his background, his heritage, his success, his wealth, his intellectual capabilities that made him so easily accepted into what was an exclusive country club at the time called the Pharisees. And you've heard of these guys. There were 6,000 of these kind of elitists back in Jesus' day. And they were supposed to be very strict observer, observers of, the, of God's laws. And then they kind of made it their own man-made laws as well, as what you might guess, they probably held those even more in practice than God's laws. 
At the time, we had the original Ten Commandments, but they added like 600 of their own commandments. And so most of these guys became masters of kind of twisting God's words to justify their own lifestyle, while at the same time kind of piling guilt on the common person for religiously underachieving. More about the Pharisees, they were racist, they were power hungry, they were judgmental, they were intimidating, and tragically, they were seen as representatives of God, so people began to view God in this way. But thankfully, enters Jesus into the picture. Not only did he come to lay down his life for our sin, but, and don't get me wrong, that's amazing and a huge deal, but he also came to show us what God is really like. And as Jesus moved among the people, all kinds of people, no matter what kind of shoes they wore, he reached out and he touched and he healed loved ones, broken ones, diseased people, unwanted people, the forgotten of society, the ones that were labeled by the Pharisees, quote unquote, notorious sinners. Jesus blew away everyone with his misperceptions, their misperceptions about God. Because you see, no matter what kind of label that people have put on you your entire life, God only puts one label on us. And that label is priceless. And not only was Nicodemus a member of the Pharisees, he was also a part of the inner circle, which is known as the, as the Sanhedrin. And these were 70 of the sharpest Jewish intellectuals that were kind of chosen uh, to, to rule spiritually, but somewhat politically over the entire Jewish nation. They were some of the most powerful, influential leaders of the day. So I say all that to say when Jesus, when Nicodemus goes to Jesus to meet with him, he comes as a very significant leader. This intellectual Old, Old Testament scholar, but most of all, that night, he just came as a man who couldn't sleep, who was restless, who had a lot of questions, and he couldn't sleep because of those questions. So we're going to talk about John chapter 3 today, most of our time. And you can go uh, turn to your Bibles. You can also go to Lexi.info, click on message notes, follow along with the whole, the whole message today right there. Here's how the story begins in John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Great couple of verses. Couple of things that jump out about these verses. First of all, he references Jesus as a rabbi, which is a really big deal because at the time, Jesus did not have the credentials at the time to be called rabbi. He hadn't studied under another long rabbi for a long time, right? He had no formal seminary training. He didn't go get his degree. He didn't have a master of divinity. He didn't have a PhD. He just happened to be the simple carpenter from Nazareth who spoke with the kind of authority that no one had ever heard before. The other part that I think is really cool, in verse two he says, we. He is alluding to the fact that there are others out there. Others who have wondered. Others who have been intrigued. Others who maybe couldn't sleep at night thinking about this. They were curious, they were intrigued, they began to wonder, what if this guy really is from God? Maybe John the Baptist isn't totally crazy when he said, look, there is a lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So while others have been wondering, only one, Nicodemus, actually had the courage to actually meet with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. 
How many of you guys have seen uh, this incredible show called The Chosen? It's amazing. Finally, Christian content with good actors too, right? And so there's two seasons of it. My wife is addicted to it. She's been watched it like, binge watched it like five times. She has a hard day. She's like, we need to watch The Chosen. I'm like, babe, oh, enough with The Chosen, all right? So, but it's an amazing show. And there is, um, in season one, there are several episodes where Nicodemus comes into play. And it's an incredible scene. As I was watching it this week, I was like, you know what? I think we should show that because it really helps the passage come to life. So check it out. What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? Listen, what do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes, but even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes, they wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, 
so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? I just love, uh, I love that clip so much, and it's an amazing show. If you haven't got to go watch it, go watch it. It's free um, to watch, but we're going to unpack kind of what they just talked about now, but as you read scripture, you can tell Jesus respected Nicodemus because he embraces skeptics, seekers, doubters. God wants and needs our honest dialogue and our conversations with him, and you need to know if that's where you're at right now, God wants to hear your questions. He invites you to ask and dig and probe and research and push back and experience. Because I believe that anyone that just kind of humbly cracks open that door and says, there's a possibility that this God person's really real and could be real in my life, he wants to help you find those answers. Because God loves honesty. He loves skeptics, he loves doubters, and he loves you. So if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. But I believe he's not just talking about your heart, he's talking about your head as well. And sometimes people who construct this intellectual argument for their belief that God does not exist, a lot of times they're just building kind of a wall of intellectualism around a wounded heart. It's been wounded somewhere along the way in their life. And if we could just get honest with that and get vulnerable enough to open your heart, kind of just experiencing God at the core of your emotional well-being while at the same time engaging your mind and your head, examining the evidence, then what happens is these small seeds of faith get planted. And the light starts to come on and you can see God as, as very real. And I'm just guessing that for some of you, maybe God's been wanting to have that honest dialogue with you for quite some time now. And maybe that starts for you today. And, and so back to John chapter three, I don't know exactly where the meeting scene was. We know it's late. We know it's dark. We know Nicodemus has come for some honest dialogue. He just doesn't know how honest Jesus will be back with him, Right? What I love about this interaction is that Jesus already knows exactly what Nicodemus is thinking. He knows his doubts. He knows his intellectual hangups. He already knows that he basically wants to ask him, are you the promised Messiah? Because if you're not, like, who the heck are you and where did you come from? He knows he wants to ask him that. And so Jesus rocks his world and says this in verse 3. He replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You see, Nicodemus, the issue isn't so much who I am and where I'm from, but who are you and where are you going? Like Jesus is like, just drops the mic. Like this is not an icebreaker, right? He got into the conversation really deeply. He wasn't like, Nicodemus, how's the weather? Wasn't talking about cats, football, or basketball. Wasn't talking about gas prices. Like he went right to a whole deeper level immediately. Nicodemus responds basically with like, what 
the heck does this mean? Verse four, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Can you just see Nicodemus smiling like you saw in the clip there? Like, come on, like, you're talking to a 70-year-old Old Testament professor. Get serious. I came out here tonight with some real questions, and Jesus kind of like cuts him off, and then verse five says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? That's a little like spiritual trash talk from Jesus. I love it. But now the phrase there, born again, it's literally translated born from above, a heavenly birth or a spiritual rebirth. So this concept of rebirth, God's plan to give men and women a brand new heart, a new life, eternal life, was clearly revealed all throughout the Old Testament. So for instance, when he, when he talks to you about the water and the spirit, Jesus is alluding to a passage that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. It was Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises to wash people with water to purify them from their unrighteousness, from their sin, from their cancerous life, right? Their sin condition. And replace their heart of stone with, with a new heart. And he's basically telling Nicodemus, like, come on, man, like, you know there's something more. You know this in your head. You know this in your heart. That's why you're here tonight. That's why you haven't been able to sleep. But we all realize, right, being in school, that sometimes teachers can know the content and not fully grasp what they're teaching. Think it through, Nicodemus. You're a very respected Old Testament scholar. You know the scriptures. You know that God has always wanted to replace your heart with a new one. You know he's always desired to have an intimate relationship with you. You know that God will send the Messiah to make a way for all people to be saved. You know that mere religion is just a dead-end street. You've been running really hard, Nicodemus, trying to earn God's favor. And now you're sensing maybe it could be a different way. I have a feeling this is very personal. You know there's a personal, transformational, born from above kind of relationship with God that can change everything in your life. And he's saying, Nicodemus, I think that's why you're here today. You sense it in me, you just don't know how to get it. Because you see, Nicodemus knew, all he knew up to this point in his life was religion. Rituals, tradition, rules on top of rules, trying to do enough good things to get noticed by God and get noticed by people, and maybe not in that order. And that's what religion does to you. It gets you showing off, it gets you performing, it gets you striving, and your motivation can become guilt and approval seeking, which really is no finish line for that. Have I been good enough? I don't know if I've run far enough and fast enough. So you either run until it kills you or you run until you just say enough. And you walk away from God and you walk away from the church. And I think Nicodemus was tired of running, growing weary of pretending to know God when he really didn't. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you grew up in church like I did and you're just tired of faking it. Tired of playing games with God, tired of living two lives where you have one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness. Pretending to be whoever you need to be with whoever you're talking with at the time. That's exhausting. It's hard to live one life. It's impossible to live two, right? 
Some of us become weary of religious rituals and man-made rules that would just like to kind of suck the life out of you. And so it's actually made you want to know God less over the years. So maybe you walked away on God or you gave up on religion. You gave up on the church. And then through some encounter, some conversation, whatever it was, you met Jesus. And you're like, this is different. This is different. Like this person wants a relationship with me. He's saying, come to me. It's a relationship with God that you're thirsty for. It's why you were made. It's your purpose. I will give you living water. You must be born again because eternal life is real and it's found in me. This is what Jesus is saying. I read an article uh, in Rolling Stone a few years ago um, from an actor named Brad Pitt and it's just, it's just great and it's really applicable. It says this. This is Brad Pitt talking. Man, I know all these things are supposed to be important to us, the cars, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all of this. We gotta find something else. I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm the guy who's got everything. I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you this is not it. Brad Pitt, like, theologian, just spitting fire right here. I love it. But I think this is where Nicodemus is right here. He's smart. He's powerful. He's wealthy. He's got everything. He's got the business shoes. Everyone respects him, right? But he feels empty. And he's weary of the treadmill of religious performance that he's been running on for so long. I think he senses in Jesus some hope of a real relationship with God. And deep down he knows that Jesus has the answer for that. And that's why he's here on this night meeting with Jesus late at night in secret. And once again, Jesus knows. He's a respected Old Testament scholar and he goes back again to a story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. Jesus does that. He finds a connecting point with you and then he uses that. Because he realizes that we're all uniquely different and we're uniquely wired and we need to hear something. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, Nicodemus, let me get on your level of your understanding so we can have this conversation. And this is what he says in verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So he's referencing the Old Testament book of Numbers where the people of God had left Egypt. They were in the desert. They turned their back on God for the millionth time. They were rebellious for the millionth time. They had forgotten about the goodness of God for the millionth time. And as a real attention getter, God's like, here's some snakes. You remember that story, Nicodemus? That's what Jesus is talking. You probably taught that story to your class, Nicodemus. Do you remember how God instructed Moses to lift up the bronze snake on a pole? And he told him in verse 8 of Numbers 21, 8, anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. Remember that story, Nicodemus? Jesus is saying there's a day coming where I will be lifted up on a pole, on a cross, and anyone and everyone who looks at me will not only be saved from the snake bite of sin, they will live forever. And just to make sure Nicodemus really understands this, you can kind of see him like leaning in, right? And then he says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that 
whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We've all seen the pictures, right, where someone's holding up the John 3.16 sign at a football game or whatever. It's incredibly good news for anybody who believes. And what's so cool about that is that Nicodemus is the only one that actually heard the words come out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus wasn't saying, like, I'm referencing John 3.16 now. Like, that was happening right there in the moment. It's incredible. In a secret meeting in the shadows at night, he utters the most famous words in Scripture. As many of you guys know, there are four different books, accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament. They're called Gospels. just means the good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Interesting to me, though, that only John's Gospel mentions Nicodemus. And it mentions him three different times. And John writes in the last part of his gospel, he says something like, man, like, I'm just scratching the surface here. Jesus did so many amazing things, we couldn't even write it all down. If we did, it would fill up books forever. But when he says that, he also says, but this was important enough to put Nicodemus' encounter into this book. Out of all the other things that John could have included, I think it's significant. He includes the story of this intellectual seeker, Nicodemus, and his journey of faith. We look into a moment for John chapter 7. About a year has passed since Nicodemus left his late night conversation with Jesus. By this time, the debates about Jesus are really, really starting to heat up. Most of the members of the Sanhedrin, they just hate Jesus at this point. They can't stand him. They want him dead. Had enough of his teaching, enough of his miracles, enough of him kind of making comments even towards them. Enough of his popularity with the people. And so they send the guards to go arrest Jesus. And the guards come back empty-handed and they're like, where's Jesus? And they're like, bro, we have never heard anybody talk like this guy. It was crazy. If you want to arrest him, you go do that yourself because we are not having a part of this at all. And so they get mad and they're like, you're being deceived like everyone else in Judea by this guy, by this Jesus character. And this debate starts to break out among the Sanhedrin and guess Who stands up? John 7, verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what what has he been doing? You see, Nicodemus had been with Jesus. He had heard those words. He sent something different. He had looked into the eyes of grace and truth. He experienced hope in his presence. And then he uses his respective position in the Sanhedrin to speak up and say, hang on a minute, guys. Do we just jump to conclusions and condemn someone without examining the evidence first? This is so cool to me because he's gone from doubt earlier is now turned into a defense. Going secretly at night has now turned into a public association by day. He had a private conversation. It's now turned into a public debate. If you want to read a modern day book that kind of is very similar to that concept, there's an amazing book called The Case for Christ. It was written by a guy named Lee Strobel. I read it probably 20 years ago, and it was so formative for my faith journey. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune at the time, and he was doing an article. He said, let me go meet with all these pastors, all these people around the country, and I will prove that there is no Jesus, that the existence of God is not real. And he did this forever. I met with people, and at the time he was like, it's real. 
It's real. And so I wrote the book all about that. And Lee moved from doubter to defender to fully devoted follower of Jesus. And that was Nicodemus' same path. Then the third and last time, John mentions him in chapter 19, right after the crucifixion of Jesus. It's one of the most moving passages, I believe, in the Bible. It says in verse 38, John 19, later, Joseph Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrhs and alloys, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, they t- the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Two powerful guys, once hiding from God, once hiding from each other, honestly, now together at the cross of Jesus. That's what the cross does. It levels the playing field. Doesn't matter your status, who you are, you come before Jesus the same way. And then I think about what was at stake for this rule-following Pharisee named Nicodemus in the moment. Both men, by handling the dead body, had now defiled themselves before the Passover. No true Pharisee would ever do that. And to top it off, it's the dead body of Jesus. The person that his religious fraternity, the Pharisees, had just crucified. He would have been kicked out. He would have been ostracized. He would have lost everything. And not only that, but he makes a really big financial investment. 75 pounds of aloes and myrrhs. Back then, just a small bottle of perfume was a year's wages. So he brought everything this extravagant expression of gratitude and love and devotion and respect that he had for Jesus because of his encounter with him. And just wonder, as he stood at the foot of the cross looking at the lifeless body of Jesus, if he remembered those words from his late night encounter with Jesus when he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So as we close today, I'm asking the question, like, just where are you at in all of this? Maybe you find yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. You're doubting, you're seeking, you're wondering. I want to tell you, like, read, listen, dig, examine the evidence, push back. It's a safe place to do that here at our church. There's so many people in this room and watching online right now that were just in your shoes recently, and they've gone from doubter to defense to fully devoted follower of Jesus. We would love to walk that. In fact, we have a class called Starting Point. It just started last week. It's just a place where you can just come and have honest conversations about God. You don't even have to say you're a Christian yet. You can just come and just ask all the questions that you want to ask. Maybe some of you, though, today, you've settled some of those questions in your heart. But you've never really invited Jesus to come into your life You've just been doing the religious thing, the church thing. But you finally say, no, I actually want, like, to have a relationship with Jesus, like a real one. I want to forgive my sin. I want to give me a new heart. I want to have eternal life. I want to be born again. So as we close today, just do me a favor. Just close your eyes, bow your heads all across the room. This is just, I found that our lives are so busy every week. Just having that moment to just kind of close our eyes and be in the presence of God and just allow him to speak to us is really important.
Maybe you're here today and you're going, Zach, I'm just kind of tired of living for myself. I'm feeling empty. I don't have a lot of hope. And I want to tell you, that can be found in Jesus. My favorite verse in all the Bible is Romans 5.8. It says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is that God knows all the sin, the junk, the mistakes in my past, on my present. And in spite of that, he loves me anyways. And he loves you anyways with an unconditional love. He takes it one step further. He wants a relationship with you, a personal relationship with you through his son, Jesus. So if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, that's me, Zach. I just want to ask Christ to come to my heart today. I want to do that right now. Just lift your hand up so I can see you. Just lift it up. Just be, just be bold. I see your hand. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Very cool. If you say, that's me, just lift your hand up right now. Awesome. You can put your hands down. I'm going to say a prayer right now, and you can just kind of say something similar. This is just you connecting your heart to the very heart of God. Just say something like this. Dear God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I believe in your son, Jesus, and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he beat death and rose again. I'm tired of living for me. I want to start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys just celebrate that decision today? We had, we had a bunch last hour, a bunch this hour. God's on the move. It's incredible. I want to encourage you. If that was you and you're in the room, right in front of you in your seat back, there's a little card. It says, life is complicated. We know a guy. It's Jesus. Just fill that out. In a few minutes after we have baptism, the service is over. You can go to the Welcome Center, trade it in. They're going to give you this book right here, it's a free book from us, a free gift to you. It's called The Decision. And I'll give you some next steps, have some scripture in here. I just encourage you to, to walk through that. If you're online, just go to Lexi.info, click I Pray. We'll get information to you as well. And um, man, exciting stuff today. I got to tell you, last hour, uh, a guy named Dylan was right there, front and center. It, it gave an opportunity to receive Christ, lifted his hand up so fast. And the minute we do baptism, we're gonna, and you can come. And I was down here, I just watched him. We, we locked eyes and he just made his way down. And so his spiritual birthday was today and he also got baptized today on the same day. And that's amazing. God, is, God does that kind of stuff. So I wanna encourage you, maybe that's your story today. Maybe you accepted Christ today. Maybe you accepted Christ last year, last week, 10 years ago, whatever. And you've never followed through with step of obedience and getting baptized. Maybe today is your day. We have a bunch of people that are ready, but you can come and be a part of that as well. Let that be your story today. We have everything you need. We have clothes for you. We have shirts. We have shorts. We have undergarments, whatever you want to call them, right? We have everything you need to get baptized. So no excuses. If you want to do that today, we can help you do that today. Uh, but here is the first story as we get started. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.